So I think there's emotion in the same way that a good play elicits emotion, for it be it comedy or tragedy or, or what have you. But I also think at the end of the day, what we're doing is not about entertainment. Using entertainment to tell our corporate story is a little bit different than going to see Les Mis. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. I'm Jeremy Dobrish, and this is The Procast, brought to you by Proscenium Events in New York City. It's a podcast about events, corporate live events. Now, each month we take a bite-sized look at how to make these corporate events, conferences, programs, shows, even more effective and impactful. Today, we're talking with, wait for it, Chuck Santoro, who is simply the best creative director in this business. And we're talking about how corporate events and theater are similar, a topic very near and dear to my heart. Well, in fact, since I started out in theater, Chuck sort of turned the tables on me and asked me about, well, you'll see, or you'll hear. So if you're curious about how theater can and already does influence live events, then stand by for Q1 of the Procast. And Q1, let's go. All right. I am here with Chuck Santoro, who is the chief creative at Proscenium, which means he's my boss. So we're here to talk about theater and corporate events. Now, Chuck comes from the theater. I come from the theater. And it's funny, when Chuck started his team at Proscenium, you correct me if I'm wrong, Chuck, it's weird talking about you in the third person, but <laughs> he was insistent that all his creative directors come from theater. And, and when you went to recruiters for my job, right before you hired me, you were getting people from advertising and marketing and you were like, no, I want theater people. So yeah. I guess where I want to start is why? What the hell is so great about theater people? It's not just theater people. It was the performing arts in general. So just having a performing background, there's some great creative directors who come from the advertising world, but I felt like a differentiator for proscenium and specifically one reason we're called proscenium, which some people know what a proscenium is, some don't. This is behind the scenes, Bethany, breaking in with a fact check. A proscenium is the supporting arch in front of a stage through which the audience experiences a performance. I think having a theatrical background can translate into our industry very well in, in some way. And I think, obviously, with our background in theater, but you, as you know, our team is made up of people who worked in the circus or theme parks and all different aspects of performing that they can bring that past experience to the world of events. And why is that important? Why are corporate events like theater, like shows, well, like Broadway? Jeremy, I think one Christmas you got me uh, a, a great book which I still have and love about the beginnings of this industry and how it really was born from theater professionals. This is behind the scenes, Bethany, breaking in with another fact check. The book Chuck is talking about is called Everything's Coming Up Profits, which brings the lost world of industrial musicals to vivid, astonishing life. We'll link to it in the show notes. Back then, there was all the, the composers and lyricists and writers who were working on Broadway every now and then moonlighting in this world using their talents to sell products for Bridgetone tires or, or bathroom accessories, which is one of my personal favorites with a, a, a lamenting song about a woman's bathroom. And it's really, so I think there is a basis of the theater 
how this industry started. And I think, again, I think for many years we've gone away from that, but I see every now and then there's an opportunity to bring that to the events that we do. And so why do you think it did get away from that? So you're right. That's how events started. That's our rich history. They really were musicals. They were mini musicals, but they're not anymore. So is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that just a natural progression? I still, we, Prasini Imagine, we call them shows. I know some other uh, companies call them programs. They are shows. And I think there's still a beginning, middle, and end. I still think there is, our actors, though, now are corporate executives who are different, basically, characters in our play. And we want to move the audience in whatever way we can. We're always like, what do we want our audience to think about? on their plane ride home. In the same way, what does an audience want to feel after they exit a Broadway show? So I think there's still similarities. Now, I think the song and dance element, it's not the same as you know what it used to be. But every now and then, it pops up. I think you did an amazing production of our Heineken distributors meeting that had an opening razzle-dazzle Chicago number, which was focused on beer. And I have to say, I was so excited when you invited me to that final dress rehearsal in New York. And I was just overjoyed because it was like, that's one reason when starting Proscenium that, you know, when we have these opportunities, they're just so exciting. And I think it was a great way to open that show and using your talents. That's your background as well. And it was great to see that come to life for one of our clients. And it is interesting. I mean, no, we don't really do them like musicals anymore, but if the information isn't entertaining in some fashion, then you're likely to have less engagement from the audience. And I feel like one of the parts of our job is still figuring out, it's a little bit more of a challenge, actually. Like, you can't break out in song and sing about why this is going to happen. So what are you going to do that's going to keep the audiences interested and let them have a good time together? It's, it's also very memorable. And it's like what the, the attendees remember isn't always what, the executives are talking about from that year you know what they remember and they talk about that like oh that was the show with the the drum line right that was the drum line year or oh, oh that's when you had the rock band open the show or that so the, the the memorable moment are these kind of sometimes theatrical moments and it's not always musical number i was you know but it is like i was saying it's a musical piece that is memorable that people talk about after the show's over Yeah, we actually uh, just finished up a show with our friend Mig, who I hope will be on the podcast soon. And we had a lot of music in the show. He's a musician. He's brilliant at bringing music to corporate events. And one of the bits of feedback that we got from the client afterwards was people were saying, the attendees were saying, this was so memorable because of the music. It's hard to remember what we did last year, but nobody's going to forget all of this music. And so it really brings the story to life in a way for the attendees that's really exciting. Tell us a a little bit about Stomp, because I love that story, the way you used Stomp Stomp. in the show. Stomp is such a classic. It's been around forever. And I think I had seen Stomp, I don't know, many years ago in New York. And it's such an innovative show using found objects. And I've actually gotten to do my own versions of that twice. One was for a pharmaceutical launch, where they were talking about the new product was a pill, not an injectable, and we wanted to celebrate the pill that was being used. So we started with an actor playing a doctor and an actor playing a pharmaceutical rep and how it started with the shaking of a pill bottle and hearing that percussive sound led to a clipboard being banged on to a big finale with 
tapping on a doctor's desk. And again, I think that's the important thing. It was also about the message. It wasn't just entertainment for entertainment. This was illustrating the point that we now have this product in pill form. And then once for you know a hardware company, we did this all found objects that they use at the store what were the opening number, all things that we were going to be focusing on in the fourth quarter selling. So bringing those products to life and letting them have a personality on stage was another way of using that, you know, kind of theatrical device in a corporate way. And so that's a great example of how corporate events are like theater. Are there any ways in which you think they're different? What, are, what is it that theater can do that events can't do or vice versa? Nobody dies. Corporate event, hopefully, like in some Shakespeare. (laughs) Let's hope not. Listen, there's some. There's some. I've done some uh, shows, and I know you have as well, where there's some very emotional moments when we bring a patient profile to life or a customer. I got to work on. I I spent a few days with a family outside of Virginia for a video that I did. Was what one of the more fulfilling pieces that we got to do. That was a store manager who went above and beyond for a family of a child who had autism. And it was about how that salesperson went above and beyond. And that person ended up getting promoted on this when we were at the actual show. So I think there's emotion in the same way that a good play elicits emotion for it, be it comedy or tragedy or, or what have you. But I also think at the end of the day, what we're doing is not about entertainment. Using entertainment to tell our corporate story is a little bit different than going to see Les Mis. I, have, I think that's the great thing about being in New York. I know it's been tough right now in the environment we've been as we're going back to see more things. I know my inspiration has to do with walking the streets of New York, seeing, being in New York City, seeing shows, being inspired by art installations and museums and what have you. And I think that's been unfortunate with what's going on in, in, in the world. But I'm, I'm looking forward to as live is coming back as it surely is, the um, theater is as well. And so as live comes back, what do you think? You know, everybody keeps saying, we're not going back. We're going to something new. So as far as events goes, what does that mean? What will the new event landscape look like? I think there's so much we still don't know. We're just still figuring it out because I think there was, we did a really wonderful job with bringing virtual to life as best we could in the last few years. But now there's some people who can't wait for live. And there's also a lot of people who are like, you know what? I am totally fine and happy. I can get the message at home. So how are you catering to these two very different audiences who usually absorb information in very different ways? So I think that's the kind of challenge for us going forward is how are we going to find this new and they're calling it hybrid or whatever you want to call it to give them information in a different way. Well, it also really depends on what is the goal of the event and is that something where you really need people in a room together, like networking. For example, if it's an event that's all about networking, yeah, you can do it virtually, but no, it's not the same. And that's something that you want to fly to to wherever the place is and get in a room with people. I always said this: it's, there's still something about a live event that can't replicate, you know. And I think there's some theater when you put a video to it. Hamilton is still selling out, but you can see Hamilton for free on Disney Plus right now, especially that. Let's talk about that for a second. It's different than seeing the movie of West Side Story and a th- the theatrical production of West Side Story, two different things. That was putting, and they did a great job filming the bro- original Broadway cast of Hamilton, and you're going to, but it's still selling out. And it's a new cast. 
So there's nuances, and I love the new cast. We know the lead playing Hamilton. He's amazing. So it's worth seeing, even if you've seen it on Disney+. Plus. But why are people going? Jeremy, I'll ask you that. Why are people going? Well, it is, it's what you said. It's an experience that there, you can't get it any other way. I mean, when you're, when you're in a theater full of people and everybody laughs at the same time, or everybody gasps at the same time, or everybody cries at the same time, you have an experience of humanity and of being a part of a community that you can't have by yourself. It's just not possible. And in our world, you have something similar. I mean, you know, you look at the award ceremonies. Sometimes with awards, people aren't engaged or they're not interested. But when people care and when people are genuinely rooting for each other and proud of each other and excited for each other, that energy in the room and that feeling of joy that people are expressing for each other, you can't get that. No, and I think you bring up awards. I never thought in a million years I would be such a huge part of our job. And I think more and more, there is something about the recognition of the employees. And I think we've done a very good job at coming up with very different kinds of award ceremonies. Sometimes when people walk on the stage, sometimes when they don't know if they're going to win or not. And I think I always tell the team, specifically the designers, look at award shows. Look at what's out there. Go look at, you know, and there's so many different ones when you look at the Oscars to the Golden Globes to the MTV Music Awards, which I think are using content and graphics in amazing ways. Like we do award shows and this is their moment to shine. So I think it is fascinating seeing that that evolution, how awards are such a big part of many of our uh, shows that we do. Well, well, let me ask you something, Jeremy. You, you are a published playwright and come from the, you know, you're an amazing writer how has your playwriting before coming into this field helped you? What has been the biggest differences and similarities when it comes to the writing? Yeah, there's two sides of it. One is dialogue, obviously. You're writing dialogue for someone else to say. And when it's a character that you're making up in your head, you can decide, oh, that person's angry, that person's gruff, that person's silly. When it's an executive, they have a voice and you have to find that voice and write for that voice and understand that he would say the sentence this way, but he wouldn't say it that way. And you have to develop that for them. The other thing is structure. As a playwright, I'm very interested in structure and why are we telling the story the way we're telling it. And in corporate events, you have that in two ways. You have the structure of one person's speech. What is the journey you're taking them on in your 10 minutes? But you also have the structure of the entire event. And how does each speech play into that structure? And what is the kind of journey that we're taking the audience on, not just in these 10 minutes, but over the course of the whole day? And how you put that together in a way for maximum efficacy for the audience, that's really interesting. I do think that there's something to be said about, going back to your earlier question about why I look for theater people, there is a sense of getting the, the job done, like camaraderie, uh, a team spirit, we're all in this together, rolling up our sleeves. And I, I think there's something there. We were taught a certain way as young actors. And then for you and I turning into young directors, I think we're, we could be scrappy. <laughs> I think that was the other thing. Once we got to this world, we're like, we, we can sometimes, what we're dealing with, and there's been times when the budget's tighter. I think we can come up with innovative solutions on a tighter budget. Because, listen, you ran a theater in New Jersey. Your budgets weren't huge. I ran a theater. And it's you. your experience there, 
I do think has helped in this industry as well. I totally agree about theater people. I think the stereotype is that artists are ethereal and airy and flaky and they're waiting for the muse. And I, I think that it's the absolute opposite. I think that theater people, you know, it's a, when it's opening night, it's opening night. There's no, hey, we're not ready. We'll do it tomorrow. You know how to hit a deadline. You know how to hit a budget. You know how to manage people. You know how to work with people. You've got to get along in order to make this thing work. Yeah, I always say, I think one of the other diff- biggest differences in our world now is we, for the most part, we open and close on the same day and we know we're going to close. And that's always, at least in theater, you have a preview period and you can tweak and you can move. We did a an event recently. I was really it was an amazing finale with drones. It was like, oh, it was so well done. And Sam on our team did such a beautiful job putting it together and music. And it was amazing. And then there was wind. And we had a can And I'll never forget how hard I had to make that call when they were in my ears saying it's over 25 miles an hour. We can't do it. And I knew we wouldn't have another chance. And it was just like, we had a plan B. And it was, a, the audience never knew. They didn't know there was drones. We didn't promise them drones. But I think that flexibility of sometimes is, is, is helpful with our theater background. But there was, that's one of the disadvantages of our industry. I was like, ugh, we're not going to get to do this again. Yeah. You've always said, don't marry the creative. You, you know that you may love it, but it may not happen. And it may not happen quite the way you wanted it to happen. And you've got to be okay with that. And that's certainly similar to theater as well. You know, you're always making compromises for one reason or another and just fighting for what you think is artistically right, but it doesn't always end up that way. Totally. I think there's so many times to think about going back to Broadway musicals, there's amazing songs in musicals that get cut for one reason or another. They didn't advance the storyline or you know it wasn't right for the character. You could read a million reasons, but they're brilliant songs, but they were cut. They were cut, like, and I think of that often in our world. Like, there's been times in my career where something I love so much, I think it's so great, gets cut. Sometimes it's time. I did a show once where we had this amazing video, and I remember the client saying, "All right, we're going to cut that video." And it was an. Ex- I was like, "Really?" And it was just three minutes, but we were running long, and it had to get cut. And no one ever saw that video, and a lot of money was spent on that video, and a lot of time. And forget about the money, the time, and the heart and soul. It happens all the time and you have to go, okay, it's best for the show. It's best for the show at that time. And maybe they'll see, they'll see the light of day somewhere else. And some, sometimes they do. And I think that's why a lot of composers, you look at the classics, the Rodgers and Hammerstein, some sh- songs that were cut from earlier works were then re-lyriced and put in later. I think that happens. Yeah. Oh, it definitely happens. Um, Speaking of time, I think it is time to move on to the lightning round. As an avid listener, you know how the lightning round works. Yeah, I do. We've got three questions we ask every time. So let's see. So our first question is, who's your biggest get? So this would be a guest speaker, entertainer, subject matter expert, anyone you would love to see at a live event. I've always always wanted Steven Spielberg to come talk about his creative process. And I've been a fan of his work also because it's so diverse. When you think about the man who did E.T. and Schindler's List, it's just, wow. It's not just one. He's always someone that I've wanted to hear speak. I've never, or just, yeah. He is amazing. And you don't see him a lot. He doesn't. You don't. And he takes some time off. And I, I love that he hadn't done a music. And then he's like, I'm going to do West Side Story. Like he's, yeah. That's a good one. Um, all right. What's one thing you wish presenters did more of? 
Oh, rehearse. I mean, but the same way going back to theater, what we were talking about. I always say, imagine if an actor just, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to go on stage today in front of that audience and not rehearse. It's the same thing, really. Hugh Jackman in Music Man didn't just walk on stage and start singing 76 trombones. He went through rehearsals. And I feel like every speaker and executive at our events, I have, depending on what it is, would, it's always helpful. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. When you rehearse with somebody, somebody says, okay, you know what, Chuck, I thought I was just going to get up and do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you whatever it is, an hour and rehearse with you. What are you looking to do with that person that you think is going to make an appreciable difference? Well, it, honestly, it depends on the time I'm given because sometimes if I have an hour, I'm like, okay, how do I maximize the hour? What can I do in that hour? I'm not going to, I can't start from scratch. I'm not going to have a week of rehearsal, which would be different than an hour. So what are the key things that I could do to help that presenter put their best presentation in front of sometimes their most important audiences? So if that's just inflection of the voice on key messages, to also work with the graphics behind them. I mean, I think that's another thing that we do. We're not just directing the executive, we're directing kind of the whole experience, which also is all the content that's surrounding them. So I think there's been times in my career when sometimes executives, CEOs of companies is like, let's just talk about it. Let's be in our office and we just have a one-on-one conversation. I said, have a conversation, bring in stories. I think audiences love stories and you're personalizing stories. And those are going back to very memorable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, last question. What is something, this could be a book, a movie, a song, whatever you like, that was a big influence on you in your career? Oh, Jeremy, this Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, as I sit in my Star Wars office. So a lot of people know my love of Star Wars. And I think the reason is it helped me, I think, become who I am as a creative. As silly as it is, I just, and I, my Star Wars toys, I created these universes outside the movies. And I would have these conversations like with them and create these scenarios of the, using the same characters, but creating these different scenarios and sometimes bringing those to life. And I think as I grew up and I was in, so into the movies and I still am to this day. So I should also thank George Lucas. Nice. Well, thank you, Chuck. Who's your, but, wait, you, but Jeremy, who's, no one ever asked you. Why don't I ask you? So who would be your, well, be, what about three? Okay. Lightning round for you, Jeremy. Who's your biggest get? Uh, well, I think actually someone I'm a little obsessed with right now is Kara Swisher. She is just an unbelievable interviewer. She's so clear about what she thinks is right. And she is, you know, if you're someone who she admires, she will tell you that. And if you're someone who she thinks is doing the wrong thing, she will tell you that. <laughs> and she just is sort of fearless. She is who she is. And that's it, which is a difficult quality in an interviewer. And she pulls it off brilliantly. So if we had an event that she could moderate or interview executives, or and I just think that what she brings to a conversation is incredible. And, and what would be the advice that you would give to presenters? You know, I know this sounds weird. I don't really mean it literally, but I, I think what I would like to see presenters do more is tell the truth, which isn't to say that I think they're lying, but I think they are careful about structuring what they want to say. And I think they know what they want to say. And I think that if the more they can get up and be real at the expense of being polished, it goes a long way towards engendering trust with the people that you're talking to. I think that's great. I think that's, I, I totally agree with you. And who, and what, and final question, 
And these are the three tops. Was that how you do it? I'm sorry. <laughs> something that was that? an influence on me. Right. So something that was an influence on you. What would that um, be, Jeremy? It's a little cliche, but magic. I was definitely one of those 10-year-old boys that was really into magic. But I never gave it up. Even though I don't do magic tricks, per se, in all of my theater writing, in all of my events, everything, I'm always looking for magic. And in some ways, magic is just another word for surprise. It's just doing something the audience wasn't expecting in a way that delights them and gets them interested and excited. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for those <laughs> insightful answers. I'm, thank you for letting me turn the tables on you. You've done such an amazing job with this podcast since we started. And I didn't expect, I just was like, huh, good to hear your point of view on the questions. You've done so well asking so many others. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. No, but really, this was a lot of fun. I know, obviously, ever since we started the ProCast, we wanted to have you on. You're the king of the guests. I, I would say I appreciate you taking the time. I knew you would take the time, but it is a delight to have you finally and just to get to talk to you. I mean, we, we you know, it's funny, Chuck and I don't really get to work together very much at all. And so when we do get to, to chat and compare notes, and it really, it means a lot to me. And I always learn so much from talking to you and, and thinking back to shadowing you and, and just learning this business by watching you. It's been a real pleasure. So thank you for sharing this knowledge with me and with everyone who is listening. Well, thank you for being a part of uh, the team. I've been thrilled since the day you started. I remember hearing your name before. I was like, wow, Jeremy Dobrush is interested in getting into corporate events. And here we are. Here we are. Look at us now. Here we are. Here we are. Your beard is a little grayer. My hairline <laughs> is a little more receded, but glad that we're still in this together. So thanks again for putting this broadcast together. You and Bethany have done a great job on it. And I look forward to listening to each episode. Well, that was so great getting to talk with my friend and mentor, Chuck Santoro, about theater and live events. For me, there were four top takeaways, and these are the four tops. Number four, there are some things that are just better live. Number three, people absorb information in different ways, and it's worth considering how you can use live versus hybrid events to cater to them. Number two, sometimes great creative ideas get cut and that's just the way it goes. And number one, theater people are great to hire. Maybe hire a theater person. But look, I could talk about this stuff all day, especially with Chuck. And if you want to talk to us about theater or anything about live events, check out our show notes for more info. There's lots of stuff in there. Or just go to proscenium.com and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Because at Proscenium, we help presenters do their best in front of their most important audiences. As we like to say, we help brands perform. And I have a sneaking suspicion we can help your brand perform. If you like the ProCast, you can sign up for it at proscenium.com or get it anywhere you get your other podcasts. Now, today's show was hosted by me, Jeremy Dobrish. It was produced by Bethany Potter. Original music by Maestro Mike Mancini and filled with creative geniusness by Henry Evans. And hey, you know how at the end of podcasts, they ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a good rating? Well, of course, we'd love you to do that so more people hear about the show and so we can hear your thoughts. But look, if you learned a few tips and you want to keep this one just between us, that's cool too. So until next time, stand by to fade the ProCast out. And ProCast out, let's go. Let's go.